0: Hi, this is Ashley. This is Ricky. And you are listening to Just
1: Counseling like Things. Where we want to be a place for supervision after supervision, but not lame supervision, the one you want to go to with your counselor besties.
0: Two, episode two of podcast. Um, we have discovered that it takes about three times of putting this on our calendar for it to actually happen. So consistency is not the name of our game, but we'll put it on Instagram. Um, you can subscribe. You'll find us. So today we are going to talk about boundaries. And um, this is something that we talk about with clients all the time. Almost anytime they're having interpersonal issues, this is this is one of the problems to, to look at. But we want to talk about what boundaries look like for counselors and why they're important, all of that stuff. And we're going to talk about it kind of in three different categories, time, money, and communication. And so let's start with why they're important. Ricky, why do we need to have
1: boundaries? Well, we need to have boundaries because one, they make it where you don't want to quit your job, quit life, run away, live on an Island, be by yourself, never speak to anyone again. But also um, they make it. Yeah. Right. Good goal to not like hate your job. But Boundaries also make it where you model appropriate boundaries for your clients um, because then you're showing them how to have boundaries. So, yes, you have to have them for your own sanity, but then you also have to have them to be an effective counselor.
0: Right. It's like like when you tell your kids, do what I say, not what I do.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. Get out of my house.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can't do that.
1: No, you can't, you have to model effective boundaries for them to be able to know what effective boundaries even feel like you might be the first person that's ever had healthy boundaries with your clients. And so you want to be a good example.
0: Right. And so I think part of it too, is just being very clear with people who maybe haven't had people in their lives who have been very clear. Um, One of my big things is that it's really important for us to set this up during the first session. I mean, we don't want the whole session to be like, this is how we are going to do this. Um, But as we're going through kind of our process and procedure with people, um, just hitting those things and saying, here's what we're going to do about this. Here's what we're going to do about this. Um, When my client walks out of the first session, I want them to know what I'm about, know what to expect from me, that everything feels very clear and very concrete about how we're going to do this together. Um, I also want them to walk away with, you know, feelings that I understand them and I know what's going on and that I know stuff. Um, but I really want them to know what they're getting themselves into. And that's kind of part of the informed consent process anyway, right?
1: Yeah, and honestly, it's kind of like when a school teacher who the first semester is like a stickler for rules and like really has like firm expectations and is essentially a hard A word, um, and then <laughs> they like loosen up later on as the semester goes on. It's because you've already they've already trained their little elementary students in their class of what they expect and how things are going to work. We kind of have to train our clients in that. And so like before the first session, like when you make your first contact with these people, whether it be through phone or email and then in your first session, you're setting the tone for your therapeutic relationship going forward.
0: Yeah, and train is a bit of a weird word, but you know what we mean. Like, we want people to know what's going on, what to expect, and know just how we're planning to function together. So we'll just kind of go through each of these categories. Like, it's important because we want to be a person, and we want our clients to learn how to be people. So when we talk about time, that covers kind of a few things. Ricky, like, when you think about time and clients, what is your thing?
1: My thing, probably the biggest thing is scheduling. That's been the biggest, like, it was the biggest issue, but it's also the biggest thing that I consider a boundary because anytime I'm saying yes to a client, I'm saying no to something else. I had to start thinking about it that way because before I had, you know, a husband and kids, I could see clients literally whenever and it didn't matter. But now that I have a life, it's much more complicated. And so scheduling is really my thing when it comes to boundaries.
0: And so how do you keep that, like, how do you keep your boundaries around scheduling? How do you do that?
1: Well, <laughs> I outsourced it. Um, honestly, though, like I um, do an online scheduler now because people can see what I have available and choose. But what I'm doing here, honestly, is a forced choice. I'm saying I can see you whenever you want to be seen, as long as you want to be seen in these hours in which I'm available. And so it's something I was doing already, because um, if people would call and say, hey, um, I want to try to get in. I wouldn't say, when, when do you want to come? I would say, I have available to you Monday at this time, Tuesday at this time, and Wednesday at this time. Which one would you like? And this just made it where I don't have to do that for people, but also it made it where people can't call me and say, is there any way you can get me in? Because they can see there is nothing available. And so that's a it's a boundary thing for me because I it wears me out, to navigate that all the time.
0: So you're giving yourself a lot of space to be a person there. You don't have to be on the, you don't have to be on the phone with people. You don't have to answer questions
1: and you don't actually have to say no to anybody. The computer does it for you. Yeah, it does it for me. It does it for me. But honestly, like I got an email the other day from someone that um, really wanted to get in. And so they're like, hey, um, is there any way you can see me on Friday? I'll even pay double for the session. Wow. And I responded and was like, um, Hey, I don't see clients on Fridays, so I'll be back in the office. We can figure something out for next week because I needed to set a firm boundary with that person. Um, I needed them to know that you can't manipulate me with money or flattery or anything. Cause we've already like, he's tried different things to push my boundaries in different ways. That was just another attempt at control. Mm. And yeah, I know. I- right. Well, yeah. And so you have to, it's also
0: like adjusting to each client, right? Cause like you talked about, you have to start off on the right track, like a teacher, like this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you get to know your client, um, if this was out of the ordinary for this client or, and you just happened to have the space and it wouldn't have made you
1: feel a certain kind of way, you might've been able to say yes. Oh, totally. Um, totally. I but... have clients that I have in my, um, on my website, the different things you can schedule there a line item that says like emergency after hour session. And I've used it a handful of times. It costs 200 bucks, but it is something that, um, if someone texts me and is like, Hey, I'm really having a hard time. Is there any way you can get me in before my next appointment on Thursday or whatever? And if it's someone that I normally have very appropriate boundaries with and is having a hard time, then yeah, sure. I'll try to figure out where to fit them in. But it's an exception. It's not the rule. It's not something we're doing all the time. It's something that um, you can allow for when you have appropriate boundaries.
0: Right. And so boundaries can sound really rigid and harsh, but we are trained and we can use our good clinical judgment on which clients it would be appropriate to kind of stretch and be a little bit more flexible with and which ones are trying to manipulate and really do need that firm boundary to learn how to have good relationships with people. It's not yeah. even about punishment or anything like that. It's just saying therapeutically, this is best for this client. And so this is how I'm going to function with this client.
1: Yeah. And honestly, sometimes that's a diagnosis type thing, you know, because right. some diagnoses manipulation is more of a, um, a factor than other diagnoses. And some diagnoses, um, poor boundaries is, like part of the diagnostic criteria and so sometimes from the outset you know just based on diagnosis who you need to have firmer boundaries with but other times it really is a split second more of a clinical judgment in the moment but if you start off with the same boundaries across the board and then loosen them where you can and maybe even should you're safe no matter what
0: right And with manipulation, I think that word kind of has a negative connotation. But like you said, there are diagnoses that that's just a part of it. And what it is, is poor boundaries. Yeah, that's all it is. They haven't had people in their lives that have had good boundaries with them. And the only way they have learned to function relationships is to try to control and manipulate. And so that's part of the reason that we're helping them. And so I just want to clarify that manipulation sounds like a really negative word. um, But also I had a professor one time that said, as therapists, we are professional manipulators and at first I was so offended and then I was like yep he's right well, and yep, so pretty much yep yep that word does not have to have a negative
1: connotation um... And <laughs> all right so another aspect of time isn't just like when you schedule people and when you don't like when you are working and when you are not but it's also how you manage your time during the session so one of the ways I try to keep firm boundaries around the time in session is I stick to a 45 minute 50 minute session and so this is like when you schedule it has a description of what you're scheduling and it says 45 to 50 minute clinical session and then it says the other 10 to 15 minutes are used for documentation purposes and so it says that when you schedule but then it also says that on a sign in the waiting room so people know like this is what's happening this is the expectation as your clinical hour is 45 to 50 minutes that way It gives you time to schedule on the hour if you choose, but you don't have to, but also it gives you time to do your notes built into your schedule right after your client, which is best clinical practice, but doesn't always happen. And so how you do this in session is to be able to have good time management and wrap it up on time. So one of the ways that I do that is I wear a watch. I mean, honestly, I I wear a watch. But more than that, when I know that it is, I don't know, 40 after, because I see clients on the hour, because otherwise I have to do math and that's too much. And so if it's at the 40 minute mark, I will um, move my body to the end of my seat and I will say, hey, so it looks like we are almost running out of time. Is there anything that you wanted to make sure we talked about today before we start to wrap it up? And so online, that looks a little different than in person, because in person you can use all those like nonverbal bodily cues you can move to the end of your seat at the point in which the session is wrapping up you can walk towards the door but online it's more verbal and it's more like verbal cueing of so wrapping it up what do you want to make sure we talk about next week like having that um, just a about it to make sure that you're wrapping it up in a time frame that makes sense for your schedule
0: yeah. And so for me, I, you know, I think it's just important that we both kind of know what time it is. And so when I oh, tell totally, them yeah. office, I like to have a clock where I can see it. I like to have a clock, a clock where they can see it. And also, I mean, I may be overthinking this, but I have the clock right by their head. So when they sit <laughs> down in the chair, the clock is right above their head to where I can see it. And it doesn't look like I'm just, you know, checking the time. And I have it where they can see it too, because then they have some pacing. If there's something they wanted to hit and they're like, okay, I haven't said it yet. i got about 20 more minutes. I better do it. You know, or whatever it is. I want them to kind of be aware too, so that they can use their time wisely. If I have a really anxious client who really doesn't need to see the time, I could turn the clock around or whatever. I usually have it on a shelf or something. So that's another way just to kind of keep everybody on track during the session.
1: And I I think that,
0: and so I think one thing that happens though, people again, like, as good boundary setters, as good models, there are going to be people who push that just like any new relationship, right? We figure out where that line is. And so one of the things they might do is drop that end of session bomb. And so, you know, you said, let's wrap up and they've given you a few more things. And then at two minutes till they drop the big bomb, right? And so I think most of the time we interpret that as them trying to push the boundary and sometimes it is sometimes it's i want 10 more minutes and i'm gonna do my best to get it we offer a really good safe relationship for people it's understandable that they would want to squeeze 10 more minutes out i get it but i think sometimes they're dropping that bomb so that they can run away and (laughs) leave it with you for the week Um, like
1: run with the fire behind them like on um On action movies where it just like explodes and they're running away I feel like that's definitely the case sometimes
0: yeah like I I put this off all session I still don't want to talk about it but I know that for me to get better I need to and I'm just gonna drop it and run out the door bye and so (laughs) that's what happens right and so I always interpret it that way, no matter what's really happening, at least in the way I respond. I probably have a better idea of what's going on, but I'm always going to respond to that end of session bomb and in the way that they want me to have it for next week. And so that means that when they say this huge thing at two minutes till I can say, gosh, I am so glad you told me about this. I can't wait to dig into this first thing next week. And so That's, that's perfect.
1: If you set your boundaries firm in the beginning of this is how long our session lasts, you are free to um, extend it if you can and if it's therapeutically appropriate or if it's an emergency. It's just the exception and not the rule.
0: Right. And it has to fit what is appropriate for each client. And I think at first that can be weird to kind of try to go back and forth and wiggle and try to, but once you get to know your clients, once you get to know yourself as a therapist, that gets so much easier. And there are people that you you are going to stretch for. But again, when it comes to boundaries, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And so Mm -hmm. if you stretch to almost 60 minutes, that means you're saying no to getting that note done before your next client. And that means that you're saying yes to 15 more minutes after you would normally leave or whatever to make sure that all of your notes are done If you're stretching sessions. I will say though, if you are trying to get hours, it is understandable to maybe say yes in stretching sessions, because then if you do 60, 65 minutes, you can count that for more than a clinical hour as you're documenting those hours for licensure. I totally get it. I did that a lot more when I needed to be counting minutes instead of just doing my job. And so anyway, try to be a person though, use that within reason. Cause we, at the end of the day, our whole life isn't counseling. And I think that's a big time, big thing. The biggest thing with boundaries is just still getting to be a person and not getting so tied up in counseling that we can't just be a person.
1: Yeah. When you're working on licensure, your priorities are different too, because your priority is to get the hours when you can. And once you're licensed, that's not a, that's not your priority anymore. And so it shifts your boundaries and it's not inappropriate or ethically gray it's just your your priorities have shifted and that's okay
0: right and so with time boundaries oh,
1: last thing I mentioned earlier that I wear a watch um, trick of the trade I wear my watch on the inside of my wrist like I wear it like upside down so like the face is on the inside of my wrist and so when I look at it I'm not making the nonverbal and almost universally understood. I'm looking at my watch motion. So I just lay, I have my arm laying in my lap upside down and I can just see it. Well, that's genius. I will remember that next time I don't have a clock handy. (laughs) Right. And so it just, I don't know when I started doing this or maybe somebody told me, but it just makes it where you're not making that motion. And so that like, even without thinking about it, people feel rushed or feel, some sort of way if you're making the watch motion. (laughs) Genius. Okay. Take that for what you will. (laughs) Oh, I'm taking
0: it. You know, sometimes you just don't have a clock and I love it. Okay. So let's talk about money. Um, I think this can be a really awkward topic for therapists who have come into the, I mean, we all come in this field because we want to help people, but I think there's this um, altruistic motive to help people. And I know that um, there can be some guilt around money, and I think too there's also maybe some self doubt that plays into that. Am I really worth my session fee? Things like that. And so, but we really have to think through the money part again, so we can be a person. When it comes to money, uh, what's your big thing, Ricky?
1: My big thing has lately been low fee, no fee, sliding scale spots. That's what I've been talking to a lot of people about lately. Is how you navigate that. And so I can tell you what I do and how I have made this work for me. If um, you want to take it, take it. If it doesn't work in your setting, it doesn't. But how I have figured this out and how I have firm boundaries around like low fee, no fee, like being altruistic, but also, you know, paying my bills is that I have two spots at any given time that are available for reduced fee or no fee.
0: Yeah. And so you put something into place that just, I mean, like your scheduling, it just creates the boundary for you. You don't have to think about it. It doesn't get awkward. Yeah. And again, what you're doing though, too, is also protecting your income because there's a certain amount of money we need to make well to live, but also like, I don't know about you, Ricky, but it took me 10 years to get all of my counseling degrees. I spent 10 years being a broke student and reading a lot of books and paying a lot of tuition
1: paying all the and money. there has,
0: right. There has to be some some, some kind of give back for that, right? Like we should be making a decent salary at this point as much as mm-hmm. we've invested into our education and we are worth our fee because we've
1: done the work. Exactly. And so a lot of times I find <laughs> no one knows shows me more than people that have asked for a sliding scale low fee. <laughs> Nobody knows shows me more. And so some wow. of this too is like, if you're going to take something seriously, you have to have a commitment in it and right financial commitment. And so rarely do I do no fee. And when I do, it is the exception.
0: Yeah. And so, and there's some dangers in not charging enough and not protecting our income too. I worked at a practice that did sliding fee scale for everyone. That was just the way they did it. And so, and there was no accountability or anything. It was just like a form where they circled how much they were going to pay. And mm-hmm. so, as you can imagine, I had two clients the whole time I worked there that didn't pay the bottom fee. Mm-hmm. And so that created some weird stuff too. I noticed in couple sessions, um, anytime finances came up, which is always a part of couples counseling, it would get really weird. Like they would avoid talking in specific terms. And, you know, I, I realized, you know. oh, this is, you know, this is about the sliding fee scale. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I mean, there was nothing I could do about it at that point. So I didn't, I didn't dig into it, but I, I noticed that it created an awkwardness and it created a lower level of trust in our relationship, which is the foundation of therapy, right? Is the trust. Yeah. And so I had a friend who worked at that practice and she was like, man, this client's nails always look better than mine. I can't even afford those nails, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, then you kind of think, yeah, I mean, there, yeah. can, it can create some bitterness, and it can create it doesn't help the therapeutic relationship when you got some feelings mm-hmm. about some stuff like that.
1: No, and, and so- honestly, sliding fee scales give me hives. Like I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> so how I've navigated this and what I encourage people I supervise to do if this is an option is to ask your people what their um, copay is to see their doctor and go with that. <laughs> Cause it's always gonna be less than what you pay because it's the insurance copay. And so I'm like, hey, what's your copay? Okay, let's do that. And then I do that for eight sessions. And so usually it's between 20 and 60 bucks. And so it's less than what your fee is. And that has made it where it's not so subjective.
0: You have got all the hot tips today. These are like just really good, like decide once, just, this is what we're doing. This is it.
1: I love um, it decide once. I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. And then you don't ever have to think about it again until it doesn't work anymore. Exactly. Um, And then again, with just good boundaries, charge your late cancel and your no-show fee. Like people are not going to no-show you if they're going to have to pay for it anyway. If you are going to feel weird about charging your no-show fee and your late fee and all that stuff, um, you're just going to get more people who no-show or late cancel.
1: So my favorite way to talk about this is you have scheduled my hour and what you choose to do with it, I do not care. <laughs> and so if you choose not to show up, I'm still going to charge you for it because it's my time and you have allotted my time for you.
0: Yeah, again, protecting your income too. I mean, I, I just feel like protecting your income is a huge piece of boundaries because I don't want to have ill will towards my clients. I don't want to have to fight that. I don't want to have any reason to not have a good relationship with my clients.
1: I don't know that I've ever done my late cancel, no show fee more than once on a client. Like, hmm. I don't know that it's ever happened again, you know, like, well, that's a word. Yeah. Like it just, I used like, ah, in uh, like previous times, other versions of me, I have had people no show left and right cancel um, cancel 10 minutes after they should have been here, whatever it is. But since I have consistently started charging a late cancel, no show fee maybe in the last five years, I don't think I've done it more than once.
0: Per well right. No <laughs> one wants to do that again.
1: No, no, they don't.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, with that, you can either flex where it makes sense or you can kind of have a decide once rule for this. I knew a counselor who had a sign in the waiting room that said, Your first two late cancels are free. No shows will be charged at full rate. You know, and so in your therapeutic relationship with a client, surely. You, they won't have two, more than two emergencies, right? Where they have to late cancel right before. Um, and yeah. then again, you get to know your clients. And so there may be a, a situation where you want to flex more and there are places where you cannot flex for the benefit of their growth. And so you may have a rule like that. Um, you may want to take it on a case by case, but I don't want to give my clients a reason to lie to me either.
1: Yeah, I have kind of a standing rule. And then occasionally I will not charge them but like I don't know maybe like this was like a year ago there was a situation at my office where there was a horrible storm one day it wasn't a hurricane or anything just a really bad storm and a tree fell um, I'm on the corner and so a tree fell on one road and then a tree fell on the other road and I was trapped at my office but my clients also could not get to me and so um, <laughs> I did not charge no show fees for the rest of the day but honestly it's because I <laughs> you know, and so it's not as, as firm as like, I will charge you no matter what. It's just, I knew that they couldn't make it. And so I'm not going to charge them in a situation like that, obviously. For pretty much everything else, I will.
0: Yeah. I don't want to feel bad about that. And I don't want to feel bad towards my clients. So got to do it. All right. So let's talk about communication. That's the third kind of category that we set these up in. So with communication, one of the big things I think about is just making sure my clients know that our communication outside of session should have nothing to do with their issue. Like it should be about scheduling or something like that. It's like, I don't want a 14 page email about what happened with your family over the weekend. Right.
1: (laughs) I don't want one of those from you, Ashley.
0: That's true. I don't want one from you either. You can text me, but don't, don't, don't send me a 14 page email.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So, I mean, there are different ways that you can have boundaries around this. First of all, that first session setup of like, here's how we do this. The other thing is maybe telling your clients, you are welcome to get that all out and put it in my inbox, feel free. I will print it out and I will have it ready to read when we get to session. And so that way, I mean, for some clients, I think that is a decent way to give them a space to just put it out there, but letting them know, I'm not looking at this on a Friday night. When I see you Tuesday at 10, I'll have it ready and we'll dig into it if you want to.
1: Yeah, I have one person that does this and kind of uses it as like a, I don't know, almost like a journaling thing, but I don't look at those. And then in session, I read them out loud to him and he talks to me about it, you know, and he doesn't expect me to read it and respond. And he knows that I'm not going to.
0: Right. Well, and if we respond to emails between sessions, do we, are we giving our clients a chance to practice the skills that we're teaching them in session? If we respond and provide them that comfort or the solution or whatever, if we're doing that, that gives them a, a reason not to reach out to other healthy relationships that they will keep long-term and reason to not practice the skills we've talked about
1: and they don't sit in it. Sometimes sitting in it, I feel like is, um, I don't know, some of the the best advice that I've ever received, you know, as a person, is sleep on it, and so I like to let people sleep on it, or sit in it, or just, like, not immediately get an answer.
0: Right. Emotion is uncomfortable for most of our clients when they start, and so sitting in it is one of those things we really want them to get comfortable with and something that we want to allow them the space to do I do not want to jump in and fix it for them so that they don't have the space to sit in
1: it and learn yeah or to sometimes responding um makes it feel like they put the ball in your court and so they don't hold those emotions so no response either especially when it's not scheduling related because then they have like Put the ball in my court, and I'm going to fix it. And that's not what counseling's about.
0: Right. Although, that is what a lot of people think it is. <laughs> no, thank you. I am not here to fix your problems, but I will walk with you as we figure it out together. All right. So, and then phone calls. What do you do with the phone, Ricky?
1: Um, I don't answer it. <laughs> <laughs> Voicemail. No, honestly, though, like, I have apple is amazing the apple products i have where um between seven and seven if you're not one of my favorites like saved as favorites not like i'm not calling you if you're not saved in my like favorites part of my numbers it doesn't even ring and it doesn't notify me that you're calling me between seven and seven because i don't really want to talk to anybody i don't know between seven and seven so it's like a non-factor but um I regularly don't answer numbers that aren't saved in my phone, and I let people leave a voicemail, honestly.
0: Yeah, there's no reason to to feel obligated to answer the phone. Another option is to have an actual separate phone, even if it's, like, a cheapo phone that you can get a really cheap plan on, or just, like, one of those, like, what do you call it? Reloadable ones. Track phone. Yes. Burner phone is what came to mind. a burner. Yes. Burner. (laughs) Uh, so but anyway um if you have a separate actual phone you can leave it on your desk or in your car or somewhere that is not near you and it's not popping up on your personal phone like you know with google voice and stuff like that the notifications might come up or there might be a temptation to hit it while you're scrolling instagram i don't know um but that separate phone just to be able to leave it somewhere can create a, a much bigger boundary that can be really helpful for some people
1: Yeah. And this is something that you, it isn't like you just don't answer and then talk about it in session about why you didn't answer Like in first session, like in your, your deck statement, um, this is somewhere where you talk about, like, I'm not a crisis line, you know, like that's a, that's a a normal first session conversation of like, if you call me, I might not be able to answer. And so I, um, I kind of make light of it. Like if you call me and I'm in the movies with my kids or I'm eating dinner with my husband or I'm in the shower, like I'm not answering, you know, and I need you to know that if you call me in the middle of the night, I'm not answering. And so if there is an emergency, I can't be your crisis line because that's not what our relationship is. And so this is like, it's a boundary that you talk about. It's not just a boundary that you put in place and expect them to figure it out.
0: Right. First session, set it up. Let them know what to expect from you. Let them know who you are as a therapist. And then public encounters. This is my favorite. So, I know. So I remember as a counseling student, this was so awkward for me. Like, I, I, you know, therapy is such a weird thing. Like, you have this really, you know, all their business. You have this, like, intimate relationship with this person. Very one-sided. They think they know you, but they don't. I mean, they Mm -hmm. may know that my kids are cute and know a few stories about stuff that's happened to me, but they don't know, know, know me. And, but they feel like they do because it is a one-sided, really intimate relationship where we know everything about this person, usually. And so public encounters and how you handle that is super important. And even if you are in a major city and you probably won't ever see this person, if they are on the other side of the state and you're doing telehealth, I just like to have this conversation as a standard of what I'm going to do. And so first session, I'm going to say, hey, if I see you in public, I'm going to give you a little head nod and just kind of keep moving. Does that sound good? And if they're like, please don't even do that, then, okay, cool. I'm not going to, you know, but I think most of our clients want to be acknowledged. Like they're, that would be really weird to just not acknowledge their existence, especially if you don't spell that out while you're doing it. Like that would feel like a really, like a diss, you know? Yeah. And so I just like to spell that out. Like, Hey, I don't, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to break confidentiality. I don't want to embarrass you in any way. So I make it about like them in the way that I describe it, but it's about both of us. Like, um, if I'm with my husband and kids at target, I'm, I I don't, I don't want to stop and say hello to you because I'm with my husband and kids, but also I do see you and I do like you. So let me give you a little head nod and keep moving.
1: So my setting is so different than yours. And so how I handle this is a little bit different, but not a ton different. Um, I am in, like, a small town, one stoplight, like, the smallest area, and my husband's a pastor, and he coaches at our local school, and, like, I see people that I am going to see store at our local football game, like, I'm going to encounter these people, and so, like, a big part of my informed consent is what do- when I see you in the Tribonas or it's the grocery store here, or what do I do if I see you at a football game or a basketball game? Or what do I do if I go to dinner at someone's house and you're there? Because this is a thing. Like, this is a thing. So in my first session, I talk about how um, I am never going to approach people in public ever. I will not acknowledge you. And it's not because I don't want to talk to you or don't like you it's because I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable and then I talk about how if people introduce us I'm going to ask I'm going to act like it's the first time we've ever met and I'm going to stick my hand out and be like hey I'm Ricky nice to meet you and I'm just going to go with it because then we've met so if um, it is socially unacceptable for me not to say hey how you doing like if we're in that sort of like we are both in a confined space and it would be awkward if I didn't tell you, hey, because I told the other person in this confined space with us, hello, then I'm going to say, hey, how you doing? But no, I'm not really asking. I don't tell me anything, just say fine. And that's okay. And we can just move on with it. But public encounters is also a way that like, limit who I'm willing to see in counseling, because I can't avoid it. Does that make sense? Actually, like how I limit like my clientele? Like well, yeah, they're, they're
0: just there's just certain people that it would be inappropriate to get into a therapeutic relationship with.
1: Well, yeah. Like the normal, like um, dual relationship, like it isn't, do I see you at my church sometimes? Whereas some people that's their, their line, but my husband's a pastor and so I see all kinds of people. Um, So it can't be, I see you at my church. It can't be, I see you at my, like you work at my kid's school, or I see you at my kid's school, or I see you at sporting events, or even like, I use your business can't even be my line because it's a small town. I use everybody's business, you know? And so, um, I've had to come up with ways that make sense to me if I am going to um, be in a small group, like prayer discipleship group with you you are not going to be my client but if you go to my church you can be my client you know but not if I'm gonna be like in the trenches with you you know like if you want me to be on that level with you I can't be your your counselor um also like my husband coaches football and so I go to all these dang football games at our local school which is fun for me I enjoy it I'm going to sit by you at a football game like I have my people I sit by um, are these like people I'm best friends with? Not necessarily, but they're my people, you know? And so if I'm going to sit by you and eat cheese fries and cheer for the little football team, uh, and you're going to watch my kids act a fool and me parent them during a football game, <laughs> um, I am not going to be your counselor. Cause sometimes I just want to sit there and eat cheese fries. You know, I don't want to have to like navigate that. during long time And so, so like public encounters is more than just like this section is like how I'm gonna to talk to you if I see you in public, but it's more how I'm gonna encounter you when I see you in public.
0: This is so important because there's a vibe and an impression that our clients get in counseling of who we are and we're the person who it feels like we've imparted all this knowledge to them basically. Um, and so there's this this impression they have of who we are. And so if outside of session encounters, Can blur those lines and if there's something crazy that happens i mean this is this is kind of out there but i so i was at a conference one time with someone who i was seeing as a counselor and uh, we didn't have this conversation and i just assumed that we were going to treat each other like colleagues i was the client it wasn't my responsibility and so i mean it was a big conference there were like five six thousand people she probably thought we weren't going to bump into each other but we ended up in the same little small breakout session And she saw me and then actively like turned away from me and tried to pretend she didn't see me and kind of like her, the way her body was, I could tell she was hiding from me and it was so (laughs) awkward. It was so awkward It changed the tone. It changed the vibe. I, I didn't see her again after that. I canceled my next session and just never went back and it just, it did something that just made it to where I couldn't trust her anymore. And so these boundaries around this professional relationship just have so many implications. So you're talking
1: about this, and I'm not going to pretend that I was not sitting next to you and was not there to witness (laughs) how uncomfortable you were, but Ashley literally wanted to, like, crawl under her chair and die. And so that's one of the reasons why I am so passionate about, like, having, like, an explicit thing you say with your clients about when I encounter you in public, this is what I'm going to do. Because I saw it go badly and it was just tragic. Yeah.
0: I mean, like, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and my first thought was what did I do wrong? And it took, it took a little bit of CBT for me to go, this was not my responsibility. I was not the one who should have set the tone for this. She was the therapist. And so It went very poorly, and so once I realized, you know, kind of talked myself through it and was like, this is not my responsibility, I kind of, the situation was just kind of awkward, but yeah, that first hit was just like, whoa, she is trying to hide from me. What? It didn't feel
1: good. Too long, didn't read. Here's what we're doing with the boundaries. Time, money, communication. Go and explicit. You can always pull it back if it's appropriate. Um, Boundaries, do it.
0: Yeah. Be a person. You can't be a therapist all day, every day, and still be a person. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you liked episode two. There might be an episode three later this summer, or maybe when our kids are back in school. So anyway, we'll post it when we get another episode up. Hope you enjoyed this one. Have a great day.